0: Good morning. Some of you may recognize me. Uh, My name is Keith O'Gorek. My wife, Becky, and I have been here for 33 years. Um, So, And others are wondering, who's the big gray-haired guy standing before you? But uh, we've been part of the church body for 33 years. I've been involved in the staff and have done a number of things. So I always count it a great privilege to be able to have this opportunity uh, to teach. in uh, 2003, uh, myself, Chris Henry, and Mark Hartman—I don't know if they're, either one of them are here—were sent on behalf of the elders uh, to Japan with Jonathan Cole, who is here. And the purpose of that trip was to discover whether or not and affirm whether Jonathan's calling to serve in Japan um, was what the Lord was uh, leading to. And so— that trip had so many great things about it, um, and, and one of the things, and probably the most important thing, is we did affirm uh, that this is where Jonathan should serve on behalf of ZF, and with him is Kendra and now his son Joshua, who, and they've been serving there faithfully. But amongst the many things that we did, we went through Tokyo, and I don't know if any of you have ever traveled through Tokyo, but it is the densest place I've ever been on the earth. If you go through the Tokyo train station, if you have claustrophobia, you're dead, right? Because it is just packed. But one of the uh, meetings that Jonathan arranged was for us to go meet this Christian businessman who was pretty accomplished. And he had an office in this high-rise in Tokyo. And so we went up, I don't know if it was the 25th or 40th floor, but he had windows on every side. And the thing that struck me about that particular meeting was not even what he said, but as I looked out on all the windows... I couldn't believe that as far as I looked in any direction, all I saw was rooftops and concrete. Now, I had been in high-rises in US cities, in Los Angeles, and New York, and even in London and Sydney. And anytime time you're in a building like that and you're up high, eventually you see some water or some green trees or a park, but not in Tokyo. And that's because distance creates perspective. It's true in the physical world that when you get to a certain distance, you get perspective. And it's also true in our lives. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to meet a woman in Australia who had a a career as a folk singer. She was aspiring to make it in music. But as she was playing gigs in the evening, she realized she needed to supplement her income. And so what she did is she took a job as a palliative care or hospice helper during the day. And maybe it was because she was a songwriter, or maybe it was because she had not been around those people, but she began to listen to what people had to say. And from that, she realized that there were significant, common regrets that people had. Her name is Bronnie Ware, and you've never heard her music, but maybe you've heard of her book. It's the top five regrets of the dying. She wrote it first as a blog, and then a self-published book, and then it got picked up by a traditional publisher. And now it's in 20 countries. And uh, she does TED Talks. But she told me she started out not wanting to write that book or even moving into healthcare. She just needed some extra money to pay her bills. But distance creates perspective, both for the people that she was caring for, but also for her because she had not been close to those kinds of people. And so she wrote this very helpful book. Well, today we're going to find out that Moses had a similar experience. Of the 150 psalms that are in the Bible, there's only one that's attributed to Moses. And Moses, near the end of his life, wrote Psalm 90. So if you can, let's turn there this morning. And we're going to actually read all these verses, and then we're going to start to move through it. So Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch in the night, you have swept them away like a flood. They all fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. And for the days of our life they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is in you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Now Moses gives us in these verses, these 17 verses, I think three different things for us to consider this morning. The first is in verses 1 through 2, and it's the eternality and faithfulness of God. And then in verses 3 through 11, he talks about the frailty and fallenness of man. And then in verses 12 through 17, he gives us some final requests. So the eternality and faithfulness of God we will see in verses 1 and 2. He says in verse one that you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world. From everlasting for everlasting, you are God. Moses recognizes that God is different and set apart from man, because in just a moment, we're gonna see how frail and fragile this life is. That's what we read in verses um, three through 11. In verse uh, Five, we read, they are like grass that grows in the morning. It sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and it dries up. And in verse eight, you have set our unjust ways before you, our secret sins in light of your, in light of your presence. So here Moses is setting the context for the things he's going to ask for in the final verses of this psalm. It's important that we see this because this is Moses' reflection near the end of his life, as he's walked faithfully with God, as he's led the nation Israel up to the promised land, he concludes that God is eternal and faithful. Man is frail and fallen. And with that context, he gives us seven final requests in verses 12 through 17. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning and go through these one by one. The first one is, he asks, teach us to number our days. The second one is turn and have compassion. The third one is satisfy us in the morning. The fourth one is make us rejoice. The fifth one is let your work be seen by your servants. The sixth one is let the favor of the Lord be upon us. And the seventh one is establish for us the work of our hands. Now, I think, given Moses' age, he needed to set up these first few verses so that we would have a greater insight and understanding of why he's asking for these things at this point in his life. That's because, as with Bronnie Ware, where distance gave her perspective, I think Moses gained a perspective on life that you don't always get when you're younger. But in his season of life, he's able to help us no matter what age we are see the things that we should be aiming for and looking for so the first thing that he does is he asks us to teach us to number our days now time is not returnable we all get the same amount every day usually but it does have an expiration date and that's what moses wants to remember wants us to remember The other thing that he says is, he said, you know, most people's lives are 70 years, and if you have strength, you'll live to 80, right? Actually, in America, there are a lot of people who live much past that. But back then, that was his perspective. So there's there's an expiration date on how much time you're going to have. The Puritans took this command, this request, and this context, and took it literally and practically. And they said, if this is true, that we're probably going to have 80 years, there are four seasons of life, as there are four seasons in the year. The first season, they said, are the preparation years. Those are roughly 1 to 20, and your responsibility during that point in life is to be prepared, Get yourself prepared to be a citizen. Get yourself prepared to have a task so that you can at some point begin to contribute to culture, that you can take your role in a company or in a home or in a neighborhood. The second season they called the production years. Those were the years roughly 20 to 40. And I don't want you to just literally say, okay, well, if I'm 21 and I'm not producing yet, I'm not, that's not what this is about. This is more about seasons of life. But one thing they said is that a wise man acts according to the season of life as a farmer acts according to the season of the year. So during that period of time, that's when you begin to produce. Perhaps you take a job. Perhaps you start having children. You start, and this is one thing that people love to hear when they're young, you start paying taxes, right? And you pay lots of them. And you start to maybe set aside for retirement. And you start to produce when you're younger, many times you're just a consumer in culture, but now you have a responsibility to start to produce and contribute to the good of and well-being of culture. And then the third season of life, they call the provision years. These, these are the years roughly 40 to 60. And this is where you do two things. You provide for those that maybe you've brought into the world, and you begin to make provision for yourself so that you are not a burden on culture or your family later on. And What we see back then is oftentimes they would, and the Amish still do this, they might give their son or daughter a plot of land or they might help them build a house. In our day, many times it's a college education or something like that. But the key is they had a very clear idea of what you were supposed to do in each season. But for me, when I first became aware of this in my 20s, the last season was the most interesting to me. They called those years the protection years. Your responsibility when you got to that last season of years, or last season of life, was to speak back into culture to the people coming behind you to protect them from making the mistakes that you had seen others make and maybe you had made yourself. You're not to just focus on what's the early bird special and make it as selfish as you can in terms of how you're living, but you have a responsibility to move back down the stream to protect those who are coming behind you. They took it very, very seriously. Because in the end, what they realized in Moses' request is that the end goal is that we would teach, we would uh, number our days so that we would present a heart of wisdom. So the question is, how do you actually grow in wisdom? Because knowledge is one thing. Wisdom is something different. So what I'd like to do, if you have a Bible, we're going to flip through some things, because I think there are five things that contribute to um, uh, wisdom. So the first one is in Psalm 111, and I actually think Gary, I don't know if you read exactly this, but it's uh, Psalm 111, uh, verse 10. Gary uh, actually read or, or said this, because this appears many places uh, in in the Scripture. It says, Psalm 111, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So the place that wisdom starts throughout Scripture is having a right understanding and relationship with God. That's the first and most important thing. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I want to be wise but you don't have the right relationship with God, you're missing the first step on the journey. You've missed the exit. You need to turn around, go back, and start with that. Now, the second thing that helps you grow in wisdom is obedience to his word. So if you can, flip back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So this is some instruction that God is giving to the nation Israel before they move in to the promised land. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God, has destroyed them from among you. But you have held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all the statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is, is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently So that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Now what's interesting is the instruction he gives them is, I've given you your word, my word. Your responsibility is to know it and obey it. But what I find most fascinating about this text is wisdom isn't just personal and individual, it's social and communal. What he says here is when you obey these things and you become wise, other nations are going to look at you and say, I've never seen anything this wise before. And it's because of their relationship that they have with God. So it starts with the right relationship with God. It also is a right relationship and obedience to his word. A third thing is, is right relationship with the right people. So turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you've heard me uh, teach or speak before, you you know that I try to live out the protection years and invest in young people. One of the most important things I say to them when they go to college, when they're off to college, is probably the most important decision you'll make is who you're going to hang out with in school. And that's true no matter what age you are. It's true if you're younger, it's true if you're older, it's true if you're newly married. Having those right relationships is such a key thing um, for you to understand. Now, I think Moses gives us an example, though it's not explicitly stated in Scripture. I think there's a pattern in Moses' life that can help us, no matter whether we're male or female. So if you can put up the next slide. Oh, I think you missed it. Um, anyway so here's here's so here's what Moses had Moses here we go Moses um, had relationships in three directions he had Aaron who was his peer who he walked alongside with through all the things he was struggling with and he had Jethro who happened to just be his father-in-law who would every once in a while step into his life and give him some wisdom to keep him from making some mistakes and then he had Joshua, who he was building into to bring up who just happened to be the person who took his place in leadership. Now, when I was a younger man in my 20s, I saw this pattern, and I began to pray, Lord, give me these people. Give me these errands. Give me this Jethro's. Let me see these Joshua's. And the thing that I was taken with when I finally opened my eyes to this, this church is filled with Jethro's. I didn't have to go very far. There are so many... Older men, some of them who've passed, that just every once in a while would speak into my life. And then I realized I had some errands right beside me, but I didn't really focus on them. So I made a commitment that I'm going to walk with these guys through this. And then I intentionally was looking for the Joshuas, the people that we could build into. So here's the thing that you need to understand, is whether you're male or female, no matter where you're at in the season of life, I think you fit somewhere on here. And there's so much written about social media and how we're such a disconnected and lonely people. And yet here Moses is giving us a pattern that can help us. Take away the loneliness and help us present God with a heart of wisdom. Now there are two other things, if you can put the next slide up. Uh, there are two other things that we're not going to dig into this morning, but wisdom comes through two other ways that I, I see. Sadly, pain and suffering. We grow wise between sometimes because pain and suffering and the second thing is that sometimes we grow wise because we've failed and so often we think well we have to get everything right we have to be successful but the reality is, is we live in a fallen world and we're fallen creatures and so sometimes our wisdom comes because we've suffered an accident or a diagnosis can change our our life in a moment and from that we can learn wisdom and we sometimes fail sometimes We fail. And so we have great examples in scripture with Job and Samson of people who failed or suffered, but grew wise in the process. As I was preparing this, I didn't really actually even want to put these up on here because I was like, I don't even like this. I don't even like to think that this is possible, but the reality is it is. So this may be your experience right now, going through some pain and suffering or having experienced some failure. But even in the midst of that, God can fulfill the promise that you can grow in wisdom so that in the end you can present to him a heart of wisdom. All right, that's just the first one. The second request that he has is turn and have, or I'm sorry, I forgot this line. Sorry. Normally I'd run the slides from here. We can't do it, so we're, we're a little bit out of sync. But this is, you can put them both up, Kent. This is the key thing I want you to remember. As you will grow old because of biology, but you will become wise because of intentionality. A heart of wisdom is the aim. And the worst thing you can do is think you do not know enough or are not good enough or compare yourself to anyone else. No matter what season you are in, you should commit to live wisely. If you are younger and you're sitting here, you have a head start. And I'm going to specifically challenge you to live your life with the last season in mind live with the idea that when you get to that point you're going to have to speak back in so you better start having some stuff now that you can talk to them wisely about when you're 40 or 50 or 60 years from now live now with knowledge of what season you're in and live with intentionality and if you are older i don't want you to think it's too late maybe you've been the person who suffered or failed if you haven't been living wisely to the point to this point God wipes all that past away. What I would encourage you to do is confess that, repent, be intentional to grow in wisdom, and start investing in what and who is coming behind you. We have so many opportunities to do that, even this past week at Neighborhood Fellowship. It doesn't have to be some grandiose uh, trip or position. Sometimes it can be just one small thing where you plant a seed that's life-changing in someone's life. So, you grow old because of biology. You grow wise because of intentionality. Be intentional with what you have. All right, now we can go to the next one. Moses asked, turn and have compassion. In verse 11, he says, for we are consumed by your anger, we are terrified by your wrath. In verse, um, verse 11, I'm sorry, he says, your wrath matches the fear that is due you. You see, Moses had walked with a very unfaithful group of people. He realized that the thing that they deserved more than anything was judgment for their faithlessness. But he knew that God was was forgiving and long-suffering and was filled with loving kindness. And so he asked, Lord, forgive me. Forgive us for the way that we have failed you. And we need that today as well too. This is a man who has seen people sin against God. God bring judgment, but God also bring forgiveness. And so the older you get, the more frail and fallen you realize this world is, and even your own heart is. And so it's no surprise that Moses has to ask God that he show compassion on them, because without compassion, there is no hope. Now, the next one that he gives us is he says, satisfy us in the morning. So, turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 23, because I want to give you some context for why he's asking this. So, 1 Chronicles chapter 23. Moses in um, verse 30 of chapter 23 says, They are to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord and likewise at evening. So he's giving instructions to the priests of what they're supposed to do every day. Every morning, get up, thank and praise God. Every evening, thank and praise God. And to offer all burnt offerings to the Lord on the Sabbath, the new moons, and the fixed festivals, and the numbers set by the ordinances concerning them continually before the Lord. Thus they are to keep charge of the tent of meeting, in charge of the holy place, in charge of the sons of Aaron and their relatives for the service of the house of the Lord. So the first instruction that the priests are given is each morning you're to get up and offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise to God. The practice of thanking God in the morning creates a heart of praise the rest of that day and all of your days. That's what verse 14 tells us. What Moses is saying, because there's practical value to it, is start every day with contentment and focus on what you have, not what you don't have. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which Edgar actually talked about last week, is um, uh, be anxious for nothing, but with everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your petitions be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This idea of starting each day with thanksgiving um, is very, very personal and practical to me. A few months ago, I was having a conversation with a, a person who's a Christian counselor, and we were talking about this practice and this habit. And she said, you know, when I work with my clients who are really struggling, what I tell them is, you only have so many thoughts in a day. Perhaps you've never thought about that, but you only have so many thoughts in a day, and you only have so many decisions you can make in a day. It is actually finite. And so if you start your day with thanksgiving, you've eliminated room for some of the negative and bad thoughts already. That's one practical thing. The second thing you do, though, is you set your mind on a trajectory that gives you a perspective that's different. And she quoted this verse, if you can put that up, uh, as a man thinketh, so he is. She says this all the times to her clients. As a man thinketh, so he is. Now, as I said, this particular practice is very personal to me, and it wasn't because of this verse that I started this habit. When I first graduated from college, I thought I was going to come out like a, a, a racehorse. I had jobs lined up. I wasn't planning to move back home and the economy was just all of a sudden in the dumper. And the job that I had went away. There was a hiring freeze. I had no other plan but to move back home to my parents' house, who were not expecting me to move back home. So they put me in the basement, in this thing generously called a bedroom. Um, You can ask my wife about it. Uh, So I'll tell you one really gross thing. Just sorry. Sidebar. Um, they, it was cold. It was a basement. And it was cold, so they ran shag carpeting. It's a '70s thing, shag carpeting up the wall to keep it warm. So gross. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think COVID started there, actually. Um, <laughs> but um, but and then and then none of my friends were there. None of my friends. They'd all moved away, and I couldn't get a job. And a girl that I had dated for six years, we broke up, and. So here I am living in this, like a mushroom, in this dank basement, <laughs> working two part-time jobs with apparently no hope for the future. And I was a relatively young Christian, and some of you will be old enough to remember this. But there was a group called the Imperials. They were a, 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 a four-man uh, vocal group, and and my wife will tell you I'm terrible at songs. I can't remember anything. But for whatever reason, one of their songs called Praise the Lord just penetrated my heart. And if you put it up here, here, here's the chorus. The chains that serve to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. And so I started a practice. I had very little to look forward to, honestly, each day when I woke up. But I started a practice back then that every morning before I get out of bed, I begin to thank the Lord. And back then, some of the things I could only thank him for is that I had 10 fingers or that my ankles worked or that my knees worked. And what I think about as I've gotten older, those are actually really good things to thank God for. (laughs) Because sometimes I'm not sure I can thank him for it. But what it does is it sets your heart in a direction for the rest of the day. And if you ask my children or you ask my wife, from then I've always said, Every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. Now, a few months ago, I also had a conversation with a pastor about this very, very thing. Someone who was a little bit tired and worn out in his ministry. And he said, I'm going to, based on that, for the next 30 days, intentionally thank God for things. Now, I I want you to understand, this doesn't mean that that there aren't going to be hard things. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm confident that everyone sitting here before you ever set your foot out of bed, you have things to thank the Lord for. And it might not necessarily make some of the hardness of the day go away, but it will help you focus in a different direction. And I would encourage you, in the same way that you grow old by intentionality, that you intentionally thank the Lord each morning, just as the nation of Israel was commanded. All right, the next one is make us rejoice. Now, uh, if you can put both, you can put everything up there. So it says, basically, if you read this verse, it says, give us as many good days as challenging days. See, what Moses is saying here is, you know what? I know there's going to be some bad days. But just give me as many good days as I have bad days. That's what he's saying there. And he said, I think this request in the previous one worked in conjunction with one another. Rejoicing in the morning, set your mindset for the rest of the day and really for your life. In other words, the direction of God's people should be a heart and a life of gratitude and thanksgiving and peace and contentment in the good days and the bad days. That's what I think Moses is asking for. But I want to be clear on this. I don't think he's saying you should never feel or express grief and sorrow and disappointment and anger and the things that we would naturally feel as we live in this world nor we should live in denial on how bad things are or how frustrating and sad and seemingly unjust things are at times. That's why he gave us this context of we live in a fallen world. But we are not to live with a presenting self that everything is okay and fine when we know that sometimes it's not, and we feel that very, very deeply. But I do think what Moses is asking for is that we not be defined by these emotions or be stuck in that place. That even in the midst of difficult days, we have a hope and a peace that passes all understanding. And for that reason, we can rejoice in the midst of grief and sing in the midst of sorrow. And that is what defines us. That's what makes us different among all peoples. And it will be visible to others. Over the years, I've met people who have really lived this out. But one in particular came to mind when I read this verse. Years ago, when our children were very young, or younger, we were part of Eagle Creek Fellowship, which was a plant from here. And there was a couple there, uh, uh, Alan and Joanna, that had a son, Greg, who had been a neurosurgeon or a very accomplished doctor, doctor, but he got this neurological disease that rendered him speechless and almost immobile and almost no time flat. And so here was this brilliant, vibrant young man, who is now confined to an assisted living facility um, where it was specifically built for people that had those kinds of challenges. And it, each of them had an apartment because you would need a helper to live with you. And Alan and Joanna always did a Thanksgiving meal for that group, for that, that facility. And there were a few years where Becky and I weren't able to travel to, to our families for Thanksgiving, so we said, we're going to help you. So we took our, our young girls, and we, we helped make Becky helped make some food, and we served... And it was just an absolutely glorious time because every one of the people there were suffering some kind of ailment that didn't allow them to actually function just on their own. And yet the joy that they found in that Thanksgiving meal was just humbling and remarkable. And there was one gentleman in particular that I sat next to that I'll never forget. He was actually a rabbi. He was a third or fourth generation rabbi. He had studied his whole life. It was his whole expectation that he was going to be a rabbi. But as he got into his late 40s, he started to develop this neurological disease. And it was progressing in such a way that he could no longer even cut his food. And he couldn't raise his arm above his head, so he couldn't itch his head. And he was telling me these things matter-of-factly. And here I am, I'm thinking, we're here to serve you, and you're giving me more than I could ever imagine. But the thing that I'll never forget is he was telling me You know, it is disappointing. He had trained his whole life. This is where he thought everything was going. But he's so grateful. I'll never forget, he's so grateful to have yams. And just the way he savored yams chewing. And then without missing a beat, he looks up and he goes, besides, you wouldn't want me to do your circumcision. (laughs) I'm like... How do you have a sense of humor in the midst of that? But I was like, that's amazing. And I've never forgotten him. Because in the midst of a hard day, he was rejoicing. He was rejoicing that he could sit at a table, that he could be in community, that he was able to have a Thanksgiving meal. And how many of us just go through the day routinely missing the opportunity to rejoice in some of the simplest things? All right. The, uh, the next one, if you put it up, is that life is not just about these, this moment. So if you put up all three, please, Kent. What you'll see is he says, let the work, uh, let, let, let our work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us. When he says favor, it's the same word that sometimes is translated delighted. Um, or are satisfied. And then he says this in the last verse, establish for us the work of our hands. Now, it's the only repeated phrase. If you read this text, it's the only thing he says twice, which to me says that he wants to make sure that we don't miss it, and this is important to him. He says, let our efforts contribute to something that is more permanent, but will last. Because we can go through life and just burn through stuff and have nothing to show for it at the end. Years ago, there was a missionary, Charles Thomas Studd, who was also known as C.T. Studd. He was a British missionary to China. And on one of his voyages, he was captivated with this thought that his life would someday pass and he would stand before God to give account with what he had done, with what he had been given. And from that meditation, he penned a famous poem that helps us to consider the only worthy way to use the life God has given us. For some of you, this may be familiar. For some of you, it may be new. But C.T. Studd wrote a poem called Only One Life. It says, Two little little lines I heard one day, Traveling along life busy's way, Bringing conviction to my heart, And from my mind would not depart. Only one life, soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life that still small voice gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding my selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There are many, many more verses, but you get the sentiment that had gripped C.T. Sudd's heart, that he realized that there were things that he could do that we all can do with our time, talent, and treasure, and relationships to invest in that we may not see even the fruit of that while we're here on this earthly life. Now, I want to close with one example of that. This is a, a, a treasure example, but I don't want you to walk away and see, think that the only way that you can invest is with your treasure. Time, talent, and relationships are other things that you can use to help build God's kingdom. So about 65 years ago, you can go to the next slide, Kent. 65 years ago, this man was living in the north woods of Wisconsin as a Baptist pastor, but the Lord had put this unquenchable thirst in him that he wanted to start a camp. Now he had no money, no land, no board, no idea what to do, but he just began to pray. And so on one particular trip, he, he would every once in a while go look at land, and he found this piece of land. But he didn't have any money. And so on one particular trip, two friends of theirs, Al and Russ Siebert, were driving through, and they stopped to have dinner with Truman Robertson and his wife Jan and their family. And True, who was a longtime friend of the Seaberts, started telling the story of what he thought God was leading them to do. And the Seaberts drove on to their vacation and drove back and then they called Truman, and they said, True, we want to give you money for this camp. And um, Truman said, "I don't. I, 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 we can't take a loan. He said, this is not a loan, this is a gift. We're going to give you $4,000 so that you can get the land. Now, what I found out recently about this story is that Truman had land picked out, but by the time they got the $4,000, that land was gone. So they had to find another piece of property which is, if you can put the sign up, which is where Fort Wilderness sits right now today. And if you've ever been up there, that's the most magnificent piece of land for a camp that you could imagine. So God said yes, but then he said no, but then he said yes, because he had something even better. So the reason I tell that story is four grand back in 1950-something, it's probably $50,000, $60,000. It is a lot of money. But think about the hundreds of thousands of lives, hundreds of thousands of lives, that have heard the gospel, that have come to Christ, that have been saved, that, whose family's been So many things have happened at that place. We have 70 families up there right now. We have kids serving on staff. We have kids attending camp. For our church, it's just been a huge, huge blessing. And it all started because Al and Ressa Siebert decided they wanted to invest in something that was going to be permanent, that was going to outlive them and it has, and we have benefited from it. Now again, I want to be careful, this is not just about money. A small act of service, a small word to someone can literally change the direction of their life. But I for one, Becky and our family, were up at family camp too, I for one am grateful for Al and Ressa Siebert that they had the vision that it wasn't just about this moment in life, but they could live without that four grand to bless and build the kingdom of God for hundreds of thousands of people. Now, as we conclude, I want to take one more verse, if you can put it up. Um, Moses, in thinking about life, says, even the best of them, the days, are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Um, I turned 60 last summer and it snuck up on me. I told my wife, my problem is I feel like I'm 45, but you can tell by my hair that's not true. Time moves so fast. And some of you are younger and you're like, "Oh, wait till I get to this period. Don't don't wait. Just take the day that you have. But Moses had this phrase which inspired the songwriter, I'll fly away. And you've probably heard that song sung at um, funerals. And it's appropriate there because it's a Somber song in the, the, in the context of funerals. But today I want to conclude by singing this. Not as a somber song, but with a little kick to it. Because for those of us who apply what Moses has asked, this is not a somber song. This is something to look forward for. We will pass and we f- will fly away. But if we know Christ and we've taught, oursel- taught ourselves to number, number our days and present a heart of wisdom... This is something to look forward to.